I'm glad you're here today. It's good to see you. I know it's the last weekend, the fall break. We see how people are traveling, and many of you have been places this week. I hope it's gone really well. It's always good to, to have a time just to kind of step back for a little bit with family. And man, that's one of the things that we greatly encourage for you to be able to do that. But I'm glad you're here today. Here we are being able to focus on Luke chapter 15. We're in our series on Share Hope, and we're talking about what it means for us to be able to be a people who are sharing hope. We're going to talk about that as we look at this 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, and you can find that, and we'll be talking about that last Sunday at this time. Well, maybe not at this time because the time change was a little different, but last Sunday I was uh, in Ukraine. And then the city of Kiev, which is the capital city of that country, as you know, Ukraine has been in the news a little bit these, the last few weeks, and uh, it was interesting timing for us to be there, and a lot of the questions we got from the church planners that we were working with about all the things that are going on, of course, we know nothing about that, uh, but it was an interesting time to be able to have connection and to talk to people. One of the things that, that I really learned uh, about the city, about the country, was how important it is and how strategic it is to be able to take the gospel into Eastern Europe and to other countries that really are close to the gospel right now. It was an interesting then in the, in the country of Ukraine to be able to share the gospel openly, openly, to be able to work with church planters who are there. We were able to work with four church planters and go to their churches and preach and teach, do kids ministry and do some uh, women's events, men's events, different kinds of things, just to encourage church planters to hear what they're doing and to recognize that they right there in that city uh, are being able to share the hope of Christ. And man, that is so exciting to be able to see that when Rob was talking about every tribe and every nation being able to come together to worship. Uh, it's an exciting thing to be able to hear that and to know that in that moment in glory, uh, there will be no language barriers. That's one of the things, of course, when, you're, when I was preaching last week using an interpreter, a translator for all the message, to know that when we're in glory, there will be no language barriers and we'll be there worshiping the Father, worshiping the Lord. That's going to be an exciting time. But last week was a great time, and thanks so much for your prayer during that uh, an opportunity. We also had a team last week that was in Pennsylvania with our church planters in Pittsburgh. Uh, there were a team of 18 that were up there last week. They were doing a lot of different kinds of ministry. They were working in the church plants that are there, and they were being helpful and, again, being able to share hope. You know, that's one of the greatest things about Graceland, right, that we're seeing in these days, how we get to be a part of what God is doing. You know, that's part of our vision statement, uh, being able to trans uh, transform lives here in our neighborhoods and generations and into the, all the nations through Jesus Christ. And this past week was a great example of that. Uh, we know the church plants that we're working with right here in our community. Tonight, we'll have our second meeting for Corden, and then also what's going on in Pittsburgh and our church plants there, and then in Ukraine and being able to see and work with church plants there. That God is using and raising up people uh, churches all over the world. You know, that's one of the most important things uh, I think we have to begin to recognize. You, like I said, we, we, we hear the news and we watch the news and we see what's going on and we look at our nation and we look at things that are happening in our nation. And I think you would have to agree with me that there is an incredible divide, a division between our nation uh, and how right now our nation begins to look at those of us who are standing firm with the gospel, what that's going to mean and the churches. Uh, what it's going to mean for churches in the days to come. And I think it's very important for us as a church and as individuals to know where we stand and be able to stand on who Christ is and what Christ is doing in our lives and be able to stand for that. 
Uh, I mean, I think one of the things that we're going to have to be about as the church is how we're praying for our nation because you look at all that's going on around us and you know that, that even though you might look at it and you might think it's a political battle between one party or another or a group of people and another, but I, I believe it's far greater than that. I believe it's a battle from Satan himself that's trying to divide, trying to destroy uh, the, the church of Christ right in the middle of that uh, is being also divided. And it's called upon us to be a prayer for people praying for our nation, praying for our leaders, praying that God would have his way and do his work. Now, according to God's word, he is going to do that. He is in control of all these things, but I believe we have a, a, an opportunity to pray for these things. So I want us actually to do that right now. I want us just to stop for a moment before we head into Luke chapter 15, and I want to just pray for our nation and all the things that are going on. So would you join me as I lead us in prayer? Father, we come to you right now. And we look around, we read the paper, we might look at the internet, we might watch TV, and we see all the things that are around us. And Lord, we know that the battle is not against flesh and blood, but the battle is against the spiritual one. And Lord, right in the middle of all these things, you have the church, you have us. And Lord, you're calling us to be people of prayer, people that share the hope of Christ. Uh, don't let us get entangled with the things of the world. Don't let us get entangled with, with political battles. But Father, help us keep our focus on you, on our desire to follow you, to be obedient to you. Uh, Lord, we do pray for our nation. We pray for our leaders. We pray, Lord, that in the middle of all these things that you would bring revival. Lord, that you would bring salvation to many who are not saved. You will allow them to see Jesus and to see that he is the hope of this world of our nation. And Lord, I would pray for us as a church that you would help us to be faithful and true to praying and faithful and true to sharing the hope found in Christ and Christ alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as you have your Bible before you, we're in Luke chapter 15. We're in the middle of our series on Share Hope. Luke chapter 15 is packed full of stuff, right? I mean, there, there's so much in this, this uh, gospel of Luke in the 15th chapter. There's no way we're going to be able to cover it all. So don't think we're going to be here all day doing that. We're going to try to look at these three stories because there are three stories that Jesus tells, three parables that he gives us in Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at those in a big picture. I mean, a big picture. And then we're going to look at three applications for us, three things that I think Jesus is teaching out of these parables that we can apply and then we can walk out the door with. So that's what we're going to try to accomplish here in the next few minutes, right? Looking at his parables, seeing what they have to do. Now at the end of chapter 14, obviously chapters in the Bible, you know, are not, we're not there during Jesus' day or not there during the gospel's writing. They were put there by men later on. There were no chapters. They all just kind of flowed together. And so in in chapter 14, as we see it in our Bible, uh, it ends with Jesus speaking these words as he ends this chapter, or as we see it ending, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he flows right on in to this parable, right? There are these three parables in what we would call chapter 15 of the gospel of Luke. Jesus, though, says in this last verse of chapter 14, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So he's calling us to hear because in the part first 
first part of chapter 14, or the last part before he gets to this, he's really been talking about what it means to be a disciple, what it means to follow Christ, what it means to say, hey, I am going to be a follower of Christ. I'm going to do what he says that he has called me out to do. And he has done some, done some of that in that cost of being a disciple in the latter part of chapter 14, as we see it. And then the last thing he says is, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. What does he want us to hear? What does he want us to be able to recognize? Well, as we begin looking at chapter 15, there are two big things that happen in this chapter, two overall things that I want us to look at just for a moment before we even get into the detail of these three stories. The first one of that is Jesus is beginning to say, if you have ears to hear, begin to understand the attitude of God in lostness. Begin to understand the attitude of God for lostness. And that's what he, he begins to teach us in, in a really big picture as he goes from chapter 14 into verse 15 of who God is and the attitude God is, is central to everything that he is going to be teaching. So when he says, when you have ears to hear, what are you hearing first? You're hearing the attitude of God. What is God's attitude toward lostness? What is God's attitude to those who need him? And that's where Jesus is getting us started on. He's saying, we need to understand God's attitude toward those who are around us, those who are in great need of salvation, those who need hope that is in Christ and in Christ alone. So he begins by helping us. You have ears to hear what he's going to say. He he is saying, have an understanding of the attitude that God has toward lostness. Now, the second thing that he is going to teach us, big picture here in this 15th chapter, is not just the attitude of what God is going to do, but the activity of God inside this. See, God, he, Jesus is telling us, have ears to hear this, that God is active in everything that's going on. God is active in every person's life. God is active in helping people to see who he is. Now, there are going to be some who are going to reject. There are going to be some who are not going to be obedient. All those things are going to occur. But inside this, the understanding as we have ears to hear as disciples is the understanding God has an attitude that is central to what's going to happen. And God's activity is at work. Now, it was exciting to see that in Ukraine last week. It was exciting to be around brothers and sisters in the Lord, to hear them pray, praying, to hear their prayers, to see the lostness in the city of Ukraine. The city of Ukraine has as many people as the state of Indiana, about 6 million people. And out of that 6 million people, a conservative number of evangelicals in that city would be about 200,000. Now, that's an amazing number, so it's, it's, uh, it's very lost. It's very without God. But then you look around our community, and you think, well, there's, there's a lot of people in our community of, of our region around us, about 300,000 plus, many people who are not followers of Christ. So what is God's attitude about those around us, and what is God's action, what is God's activity? And so Jesus says, hear that, Hear what I'm saying, and then he launches into these three stories in Luke chapter 15. Now, in verse 1, as we see it, he says, the tax collectors and the sinners were gathering around to hear him. Now, those who have ears to hear, let him hear. Who is there immediately in this first verse? It is those who are without Christ. The sinners, he calls them, the tax collectors, those who are without God. What does that tell us? Well, I think it, it helps us to understand that there is a hunger among people for the things of God. 
Now, if we understand God's attitude of what God wants to do, which is bringing people to himself, remember Jesus said that the Son of Man has come to seek and save those which is lost. That is, that is his purpose. That's what he's about. Jesus' whole purpose was about coming so that he is going to seek and save those who are without Christ, those who need him. And here he tells us that the sinners and the, the tax collectors were gathered around so that they can hear. There's a hunger for those around us, a spiritual hunger. Some people aren't going to admit that. Some people are not going to talk about that, but there's a spiritual hunger to people that you're coming in contact with. In the second verse, he says, not only were the, were the tax collectors and sinners gathered around to hear, but then he says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were there too, and they were murmuring to the fact that this man was eating or hanging out with these sinners. So Jesus immediately says, okay, you have ears to hear. Here's the big picture of God. God has a great attitude about lostness. God has a great activity about lostness. And there are two kinds of people, right? Those who are hearing, those who are hungering after his word, those who are sinners and tax collectors who are lost, but who are hungering. But then you have the, the, the Pharisees and the lawgivers, the lawmakers, who are the religious people of the day. And they're in this box over here saying, how can this guy be hanging out with sinners and tax collectors and people who are far from God? Well, they miss the understanding of God's attitude. Right Now, we got to be careful because we can put ourselves into this area also as religious people where we can, we can forget about those who are hurting and those who are in need because we're so surrounded by those who are believers and those who keep the standard. And there's a balance. And Jesus gives us this balance in this very first two verses of this chapter 15. Those who are hungering after God that he is going to speak to and those who are the religious leaders who are saying, well, what is he doing hanging around with people who are not of God? And Jesus then says, okay, if you have ears, you got to hear what he's saying. And then he launches into these three stories. The first story you'll recognize, of course, is about the shepherd who has a hundred sheep. He has the owner. He's the owner of these sheep more than likely because of the number that he represents. He's not a, a rancher that would probably have more than 250 sheep or so. Uh, that's just historical fact. So here's a guy who owns a hundred sheep. He counts them every day. He recognizes that one is missing and so the Bible then says to us that he recognizes this one who is missing and he goes to find them. Jesus tells this parable, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep, loses one of them, does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home, which means he, is, he, has, he has found the one that he is looking for. If you have ears to hear, then hear that. The hunger of those who need Christ. And here Jesus says to these who are listening, the sheep, the shepherd is going to care about the one. Now, in this parable, there are so many pieces to it, but obviously one of the greatest things we see in this parable, again, is the attitude of God that he cares for you. Man, that's a great word for us. If we have come to Christ, we have salvation, we know how much he has cared for us and moved us from darkness. And that's the first point on your 
listening guide. We are lost in darkness and we are found in his light. He has moved us from people who are dark, who are lost, who are out wandering by ourselves. And that's so much of the imagery of this story. He has moved us to be people that he has found in the light. He has gone out during the day. He has found this one that was lost. He has put this one sheep on his shoulder and he has carried it back in the light of the day. Because in our darkness, we are lost without Christ, but it's in his light that we have salvation. He is the light of the world. And he has given to us the light in Christ and we are able to respond to who he is. And the second story or the second parable that he gives to us, he moves it up a notch, actually. There is a progression to what Jesus has been teaching here. He's been teaching about this uh, lamb that was lost and the importance and the value of that. Yet the second story that he gives us is just a bit of a higher value. But see, because a, a lamb could be, uh, if had to, is going to be replenished, is going to be uh, reproduced. There will be other lambs that will come along. So Jesus moves it to a higher level, and he talks about this coin that was lost. And he talks about this lady who has this coin. Suppose this woman has this coin, which in that time period may have been a headband that would have been a dowry from her marriage, which was a normal thing. Uh, she would have uh, 10 silver coins, it tells us, not just any coin, but 10 silver coins of great value. It could have been as much as a, at least, at least a day's earning uh, more than likely, though, that was more than that because of the way Jesus teaches this par parable. And he says in this story that this lady had this coin and she lost the coin. Now, we, he didn't tell us how she loses it. Maybe she lost it by neglect. Maybe she put it down somewhere and it fell out. doesn't really tell us how she lost the coin. It's just the fact that the coin is lost. And then the lady becomes very focused on what he's going to do in this in this case, it says she's going to light the lamp and then she is going, well, you can read the passage there starting in verse 8, uh, going on down where she sweeps the house and searches carefully until she finds it. When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. Number one, we are lost in darkness, we have found in his light. Number two, we are lost in dust and we are cleaned by his love. And that's a whole important part of this parable. The understanding that this coin, this valuable coin that could not be replaced, you see, there is a difference. This coin, unlike the lamb, could not be replaced because she had lost it. She just couldn't go out and get another one. It wasn't that easy. And now she has lost it. But she's lost it and she's cleaning the house. She's sweeping the house. And his, his view inside this is a teaching and understanding for us that we too are, are lost in our dirt and our filth. And that's what he's, he's connected sin to, our, our lostness in the dust and the dirt. Matter of fact, you remember in Genesis chapter 2, it tells us that we are, we are coming from dust. And we find out in the Bible that when we die, we go back to dust. Dust is often seen as that, that representation of humility, of nothing, of lostness, of complete away from what we desire. And here, this woman recognizes that she has to sweep the house. She has to find this coin. She has to, may well be that she had a dirt floor. And maybe you've been on mission projects where you've gone into to, to houses where the floor is dirt. And, and, and so whatever it was in this case, she had, to, she had to sweep in order to clean, in order to find. And that's another part of what God is doing in our lives, where he takes us, who we are, in our dirt and our lostness 
and our guilt and our filth, all the things about us, and he finds us inside that. And you can just imagine for a moment in your mind that this lady found this coin somewhere in the dust after she was doing all the sweeping, and she picks it up, as we have done with things that we have lost. She picks it up, and she wipes it off, and she cleans it so that she can see the silver coin that she now has been, has been found and been restored to her. And that's a, that's a great image of what Jesus is teaching us. He's teaching us that when we have salvation, he takes us as we are. He takes us in our struggles and our hurts and our doubts and our filth and our sin, and he takes us and he cleanses us. Matter of fact, John tells us that for we, we can be cleansed by his righteousness. He's the one who, who cleanses us and forgives us of all of our sin, and that's what Jesus begins to help us to understand. The third story that we see in Luke 15 is a story that often is called the story of the prodigal son. Now, in the story of the prodigal son, we would recognize that also uh, the third point on your listening guide is that we are lost in deception. We're lost in deception, and we are found in his lordship. Because that really is what this third story is about. It's about a young man with his family who has the things that he needs, who recognizes, and and the value's gone up, right? The value has gone from a sheep in the field to a lost coin to now this this young man in his family, these two brothers that he talks about in this entire parable. But in this first part of this parable, this young man who was willing to be deceived, who was open to being deceived by all the things of the world, and he was willing to give up his inheritance at the moment to be able to take it. Uh, According historically, he's probably going to get a third of everything his father owns There was two of them. The firstborn son was going to get two-thirds of everything. So he took his third, and and he was deceived by the world in order to go out and to get the things that he wanted. I think so much like us sometimes. We get so deceived by what's around us. The world in which we know your family, your friends, people that you work with, have a great deception by the evil one who is deceiving in a great way to say, look at this, what about this, wouldn't this be better? He, He moves us so that our attention is on something else. And I think that's a great part of what this parable teaches. It's a parable of understanding that our our attention has been moved away from the things of God. Our attention has been moved away from the the family in which we have. Our attention has been moved away on what our hearts desire, or what our eyes desire, or what the lust of our flesh is desiring. And so what happens to us is we begin to say, I'm going to be deceived by those things. I'm going to be moved to those things. And that's what this third parable is teaching us. That's the deception of all that arounds us keeps us from being who we are in Christ. Now, in this case, he's talking about lostness. He's talking about this young man who is completely away from God, who has completely went out on his own. But when he returns, when he recognizes where he is, and that's a huge part of what happens in lostness, our repentance, our being able to turn from what we're doing and move back to where God is, being able to move back to what's happening. And then verse, as you look at this passage, in verse 20, he begins to tell us that this, the father, uh, in verse 20, he saw him, he, he got up, and, and this young man was going to the father, but when he was still a long way off, His father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, kissed him, gave him 
what he needed, and starts in verse 22, but in verse 21 he says, uh, he says, I have sinned against you, Father. I'm no longer worthy. But the Father says, bring all these things because my son who was lost is now found. Now see in these parables, parable one of the shepherd, parable two of the woman, parable three of the father, Jesus moves deeper and deeper in. He moves deeper and deeper to pulling us to an understanding of his great attitude of lostness. Because the greatest thing he begins to teach us here in this last parable is the relationship that the father wants to have with his children. He wants to bring us in. Not only is he teaching us here that he is just watching, but he tells us in this verse that when he sees the son, he runs to him, which is so so contrary to anything that a father would do in that day and age. They they were the most important person. They were the one that uh, had the authority. But here the father recognizes his son and runs to him. Jesus is saying to these who are hearing, both those who are lost and these Pharisees, if you have ears to hear, hear this. Hear how much the father loves his child. Hear what he is willing to do in order to bring you to himself. So when we look at those three stories, that's there's so many pieces to those we honestly can't get to, but it gives us a, a bigger picture of what those are. But I think the three applications become very important to us because the three applications, I believe, is what Jesus was trying to get to in the parables. He always has applications to his parables. The first application for us is we must realize our responsibility in searching. And all these things, whether it be the man who had the sheep or the woman who had the coin or the father who had the son, and all those we begin to understand there is a point where they were searching they're searching, according to the shepherd, was going out and leaving the others in order to go out to find, in order to, to find that lost sheep. And the, the woman was being able to say, I'm going to do everything in my power, which is sweeping and cleaning out my house, in order to search for the lost coin. The father is in the place waiting and watching. There's a, there's a watchfulness about him. So it leads us to an understanding of practical application of how we look at those around us who are lost. Because remember, that is the point of this, this whole chapter 15. It's the understanding of, of God's attitude toward the lost and God's action toward the lost. And if we are his disciples, then the application is really, really simple as we hear the message. It's our attitude and our actions then come to the place where we are searching for those who are lost. We are sharing the hope of Christ inside our neighbors, inside our friends, with our coworkers, with those around us, because we know, we know if we don't search for them and they are found through Christ, that they will be lost in eternity. We understand that from a Bible perspective. That people who die without Christ spend eternity in hell away from him. So it becomes important, so much important for us as the church, for us as believers to shout out the news of this understanding that we are responsible for the searching and the speaking out of God's word. Second, he tells us one of the applications is we must respond with hearts of worship. When somebody comes to Christ, when lives are being changed, when hearts are being transformed, he tells us in, in all three of these, right? He tells us in, in the first one that, that this at the end of this verse, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not repent. Now, at the same time, the angels are, are rejoicing over this one who is repenting. 
They're also worshiping God, so worship has not stopped. So in this application, I believe God is teaching us to have ears to hear that we have hearts that are worshiping him, hearts that are, that are grateful to all that he is doing, hearts that understand for our own salvation. There should not be a moment in our lives as believers when we're going somewhere where we don't recognize the salvation that God has given to us. And when we do, what happens out of that salvation? What happens when we recognize it is what we, we worship him. Him for what he has done for us. We worship out of our hearts, out of gratitude and thanksgiving that we were lost, but now we're found. That we were blind, but now we see. That we were that lost sheep that, that was out there that no one was around us, but, but the shepherd found us. We were the, the lost coin that was, that was hidden with dust all over us, but, but we had salvation. We've been cleaned up. We were that, we were that young son who said, I'm, I'm being deceived by the world, but I see the father and I see him running toward me. And when we see that our lives are changed because of that. So our, the only response we have is hearts of worship. God, thank you for what you have done in my life and help me then help me, which is the third point that we have. The third application is we must recognize the urgency of the gospel. Because when we began to read these parables and we began to see what he is saying, there was an urgency. I'm going to leave the 99 to go out and find the one. I'm going to do all I can to sweep the floor in order to find this coin that I've lost. I'm looking, I'm looking intently to see the son who is coming back. There's an urgency in the gospel. There should be an urgency. There must be an urgency. If the church is not going to be urgent today in the 21st century, we are in deep trouble. If as a church at Graceland, we're not going to be urgent about seeing our community come to Christ, our community will not come to Christ. If individually, we're not going to be urgent about praying for family members and friends who need Christ. So how do we live that urgency? What comes out of that urgency? Well, I think one of the most important things is that burden that God puts in our life. What burden do you have in your life to see your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers and your family members come to Jesus? What urgency do you have to find ways to share with them that love, to share with them your concern, to let them know that you care so much about them? So urgency of the burden in our life becomes vital. Second is just the prayer, the very, very idea that we are praying for people. We are praying for people to be saved. We, we pray for so many things, right? We pray for so many things to happen around us. But, but the truth is the thing that we have to pray for the most, like Paul, who said, don't pray for me and all my problems. Pray for me that I'm going to be bold to share the gospel. I'm in chains, he tells his, his, the believers. Don't pray for me to get out of chains. Pray for me to have the boldness to share the gospel. So burden for the gospel, prayer for the gospel, that we have that prayer in our lives that makes us urgent to care about people. And then just the simple understanding that what we have to share is our story. What we have to share is how Christ has changed us, how we were that sheep that was lost. We are now found. We are that coin that was lost. We are now found. We are that son that was lost, but we ran to the father and he embraced us. That's all the story we have. The only story we have is about the reckless love of God who cares so much for us. One last verse and we're finished today going back to the 14th chapter of Luke, just a few verses back. Um, before he gets into these parables, he also has told the parable of a great banquet. 
And at the end of that, in verse 23, the master told his servant, go out to the roads, go out to the country lanes, and make them come in so that my house might be full. Now, that's the urgency that he tells us, even before he gets down to this understanding and explanation. So really, if you read verse chapter 14 and 15, you see Jesus again saying to us, look at the attitude that God has toward lostness. God has given his son Christ so that the world might be saved. Look at the action that he has taken. He has given Christ as his son to die on the cross as a sacrifice. And what he has done is provided us, you and me, with a story of salvation in our own lives so that we might tell the others, we might share hope with those around us. Now, I believe that is an urging for a gospel for all of us, but I would say this to you today. If you are not a follower of Christ, if you have never given your life to him, if you have never repented of your sin, there is nothing more urgent than for you to do that today. Because we know that if you were to die in your sins, you would not be with God in eternity. Our prayer would be that today, today would be the day of salvation for you. In just a moment, we're going to sing together. We're going to pray together. We're going to stand together. There'll be people here to pray for you. Maybe you have a prayer need. Maybe you want to come today and say, hey, I I need to know what it means to be a follower of Christ. We would love to help you to understand that from God's word. But for many of you who already know that, for many of us who already say that we are followers of Christ, how do we begin to say, God, put a new burden in our lives, put a new prayer on our lips, put a new movement in our hearts that I'm willing to share who Christ is with those around me, that I come in contact every day who need to hear the hope of Christ.